difficult time with church? I think we all have at one time or another. Well, as we begin this episode of Contemplate, our teacher, Pastor David Robinson, is going to talk a bit more about the importance of the church and what gets in the way of us doing church right. Please turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, as we join Pastor David with today's episode talking about fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Here's Pastor David. There are a lot of people who say, oh, I'm against this type of church, or I'm against that type of church. I don't like the way they do music, or I don't like the way that guy preaches, or I don't like the fact that they don't have a you know, knitting club or a softball team or this program or that program. I'm just looking for the right church. Right now, I'm really not going anywhere. There are people who kind of have that attitude, but the question is not what place can you find to go that will serve you or that will make you happy. That is not the question. The question is, is this place Christ's body? Are these people Christ's body? Have I been called? Have I been called to fellowship and service with these people? And if the answer, when you attend and, and check out a church, you ask the Lord that sincerely and the answer is no, then the thing that you do is not, okay, well, I don't need to go to church. The qu- next question is, okay, where have you called me to service and fellowship? Because this is clearly the pattern of the church from the beginning, and you've called us not to forsake gathering together in fellowship. You will never find any group of people who you agree with all of them all the time. Or, frankly, that you enjoy being around them all the time, including your own family. Amen? (laughs) Right. You will never find any group of people that you agree with all the time. That doesn't mean that you split off. I mean, we're really good at doing this. We split, okay, I don't like this church. Uh, it's too big, or it's too small, or it's too this, or it's too that. And you go there, and then, and then we start going to this, you know, where you see people and, hey, look, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but we have people go basically almost to this like, then it goes house church, and it goes, well, just my family, me and my family, we kind of do it together. Well, here's the thing. That pattern will never end. Eventually, you'll get sick of them too. And then it's just you. I'm the church. Me and the Holy Spirit. Let me just tell you something. Me and the Holy Spirit is not a sign of spiritual health. It's a sign of spiritual pride. You cannot do it on your own. You were never intended to. You were never intended to. We are to be a body of Christ. We're not to forsake this gathering because when we do this, when we, when we go, oh, I don't like this one, I don't like this one, I don't like this one, or we just hop from church to church and never integrate truly have fellowship with a body, which is the hallmark of Christianity in the church, then relationship and community just isn't happening. And when relationship and community isn't happening, the church just isn't happening. It is worth considering, just considering, whether or not you might not be right about everything. It's worth thinking about. I'm just saying, okay? It's possible. If people in the church have hurt you in the past, and that's what's keeping you from fellowship, the call on your life is not to isolate yourself. The call on your life is forgiveness. It's forgiveness. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. 
Here's the thing. Forgiveness is healing. Forgiveness is healing. Just like you were healed. Just as God in Christ forgave you, and by his stripes you were healed, you're called to forgive. Part of being in community, part of being around other people, is that they sometimes hurt you. You don't then pull away. It's now time to practice the discipline of forgiveness that you're called to do. We are, Scripture is very clear that we are the body of Christ. We're a body that works together. Now, what gets in the way and causes disunity in the body? It's pretty easy. Sin, right? Covetousness, jealousies, desire for attention, desires to justify your actions by twisting Scripture or nature or both. All these things, they damage community and fellowship, and all these things we tend to fall into. And as we do so, we hurt people and we hurt fellowship. And if the body is not getting along, you all have a body, as far as I can tell out here. You all have a body. And when it's not getting along with itself, what happens? Sickness, right? Sickness, damage to the body. And when you're sick, what can you accomplish? Very little. There's nothing more frustrating than wanting to accomplish and not being able to because your body won't cooperate with you. My grandfather, when he was like, uh, he was right around 80 years old and he got stomach cancer. And this was an incredibly hard working man. And even with the cancer, he had a full time job and he basically kept it right up until the time that he passed away. But what he found was that as he continued on, he was having to fight against the sickness of his body. He was having to fight against it. It was destroying him. It was counterproductive to what he wanted to accomplish. When the body is sick, it accomplishes little. And there's a reason why we're talked about in Scripture like a body. If we don't forgive each other, we don't get the body back working again. We just don't. There's just one church. There was just one church here. At this time that we're at right now in Acts, it's about 3,120 people. There's still just one church, one body. Have we become disunified? Yeah, we have. We've gone some different ways. We've got brothers and sisters who have, who have decided to disagree on things that they found to be maybe fundamental or close to fundamental, and so they've decided to uh, spend some time maybe with just folks that agree with them. And I'm not going to get into the whole issue of denominationalism. But hey, within our own body here, we can stop that from happening. We can forgive one another. We can be humble, right? We can do that because here's the thing. If you leave the church, if you separate yourself, if you alienate yourself from the body of Christ, you're keeping the body from being able to work and be as effective as it can be. Here's the deal. If, you, if in the morning, on a Sunday morning, um, the body doesn't get together when you want to get out of bed, you're going to have a tough time. You don't come to church and leave your legs at home, Right? They wanted to sleep in. It doesn't work that way. In order to be effective as a church, as a body, we all have to be in community together. We all have to be in community together. So this is the pattern from the beginning. Again, the church fellowships together from the very beginning. Number three, the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread. Now, this passage reflects two possible things, and I think it refers to both. The first one is communion. And we practice communion. We've got our elements up here, and we'll, we'll practice communion, and we'll take it together as a body. 
later in the service. And the reason we do this is, is it's an ordinance that was passed down by Jesus Christ himself that we continue to follow and the church also followed. We can't tell from this passage exactly how often they were practicing communion, but as, as often as every day. They were practicing it very often. What's why we practice it very often. Because as often as we get together, we want to remember the death of Christ for our sins and his burial and his resurrection and the power that we have in him for the regeneration of our, of our lives to become new and to become clean. That's why we do it. That's why we recognize it. So uh, that's why we do communion. The early church also ate together. They just got together and ate. Um, you know, the thing about eating together is there's something intimate about eating together. There's something community building about eating together. There just is because it's, it's living, just kind of living practical life together. Eating is something we do practically every day. Some of us more than others. I don't need to hear an amen on that one. Some of us more than others. But we eat together. When we come together as a community, we eat together, and that's just a practical living. Look, Christianity is not all about mountaintop spiritual experiences. Those are great. When you have those, and, and, and you're worshiping the Lord, or you're learning something, and I mean, the, the Holy Spirit is just upon you, and, and it's just an amazing thing. Those are fantastic. But a lot of the Christian life is just about the ordinary, practical living of life together as the body of Christ. That's what a lot of it is about. And so when we talk about breaking bread together, we're talking about, hey, man, we're li- just living together. A lot of our life groups eat together. And so, you know, we, we get together, we spend some time, we eat together. Why do we do that? Because it's part of living together. It, it, it's, it's part of, it's a practice that shows us that we're a community, that we're living together, that we're doing this thing together, that they're regularly breaking bread together. Okay, let's move on. Number four, the last thing is prayer. Prayer. The early Christians certainly would have prayed privately, individually building that personal relationship with God. And we have the example of Christ regularly going away privately and individually praying. But we also have public prayer. And public prayer would have been a big thing in the early church, this group prayer. Uh, For all we know, we don't know for sure, but probably these early Christians would have continued the tradition of the three daily prayers that they would have been doing as, as Jews. The Jews would pray in the morning, the afternoon, and the evening. They had three daily prayers. And probably these, these early Christians continued to do that. See, they prayed often. It was a discipline. Some of us are good at praying, and some of us are not as good at praying. It's a discipline. It's something that you have to learn how to do, and it does not necessarily come naturally to everybody. And so you work at it, and you, and you push into it, and then you, you start to have that, the public prayers, and you start to understand what that's about, and you start to have these public prayers, private prayers, and these private times, and these quiet times, and you start to move in to what it means to know God. But we, we pray privately and we pray publicly just like worship, right? So we worship here on Sunday mornings together, but hopefully you all worship privately as well. When I was a teenager, I had um, a car, if you wanted to call it that. It was a 1980 Chevrolet Chevette. Called it the Vet, and uh, thing was falling apart, but I did have a kick-in stereo system in it. See, I didn't care so much about the car. It could fall apart, but it better be loud inside there. You know what I'm saying? And so I've got this thing, and we're, you know, rolling down the street. I mean, it wasn't very fast. I got pulled over by a cop on foot once, but, um, you know, it's like, all right, all right, okay. And he just grabbed it, you know, and, um, but no, 
I was rolling down the street, and I'm listening to my music, and I mean, I am rocking out. I'm listening to some REM or something, and I'm just, and I'm just going to town. I'm rocking out, and I'm just totally not paying attention to where I am. I can kind of get into music sometimes. And so it's loud, and I'm rocking, and I stop at the stoplight, and I'm just going after it, and I look over. In the car next to me, there's two teenage girls just laughing at me. I mean, they're just they're pointing. I mean, they're literally just like making complete fun of me. I mean, because I'm here making an idiot of myself. And there's, by the way, no way to smooth that situation out. There's no easy transition into like a, oh, I was just, you know. It's just seven shades of red. Look at the steering wheel and just move on, right? Um, that's obviously not what I'm talking about worship because I was an REM, but hopefully you worship. You should be taking that time on your way to work or wh- wherever you are, whatever time you are, you should be taking that time to worship, to worship God. And you should be taking that time to pray. But we have to be careful also, just a, just a little thought here. As we grow in Christian disciplines and as we come to um, become good at them and do them seriously, There's a temptation there. See, the Pharisees back in Jesus' time had this temptation that came. They were devout men, seriously devout men. If you listen to Paul talk about how how devout he was, you'll find they were seriously devout men. But what happened is they became prideful about their devotion to God. And so the thing itself and the discipline itself became the thing rather than the spirit of the thing, which was to worship God. And we can become that way too. We can become spiritually prideful. So when it comes to issues like prayer and the disciplines of the church, we have to be careful. Here's the thing. Instagramming your quiet time was not a practice of the early church. It just wasn't. You know, you're like, man, I'm having this quiet time. I think, I think everybody should know about this. And you got the little thing, I'm studying whatever, Mark, everybody, you know, just getting into the Lord. And then of course, you know, because of course it's going to help everybody else. That's why you check every five minutes to see how many likes were on that thing, right? See how many people you're helping. No offense if somebody's in there just like, hey, Instagram, you know, maybe it does help. I'm just saying it wasn't a practice of the early church, and it can lead to pride. If when you're doing something, you take it from being about you and God and make it about yourself and your own pride and self-justification and and raising yourself above others and Instagramming about it, you've probably lost the spirit of what it means to be in prayer. You just probably have. So prayer was a very important part of what the early church did, praying together. And we pray together, and we've prayed together already a couple times today. Roger prayed with us during worship. I prayed earlier in the service. I'm going to pray in a second here. And when we do that, we need to not see these public prayers as just kind of a rote tradition or a preliminary that we do. But we need to, as a body, as a group, as a community, be pressing into praying together. And coming before the throne of God as a group. So we have that private time. We have that public time. This is a practice of the church from the beginning. So once again, the four things that we see the early church doing. Devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Okay, so we've made it through one new verse today in Acts. And here's the good news. We only have 939 verses left. So some of your grandchildren will see the end of this series. um, And so that should give you some hope. That should give you some hope. But what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do with this information about what the early church did? Let's just take a couple things out. Remember what Tom Miller 
said about hardcore Christians. That's what we've got to be thinking about. This is the blueprint. These four things are the blueprint for what it means to be a hardcore Christian, to be part of the church, to be following Christ. We see it right out of the gate. These people who were devoted to Christ, who were ready to give their life to him, this is how they lived out the Christ life. And so maybe we ought to take that blueprint for ourselves to be hardcore Christians. We've talked about the the descriptive versus the prescriptive in Acts, right? Certain things are just being described. This is just what happened. And then certain things are being prescribed that we ought to do those things. This verse, Acts 2.42, is prescriptive. It's telling us how we ought to live as the church. That's what it's telling us. So it's telling us what it looks like. What does it look like to follow Christ as a church? So this is what it looks like. We put ourselves under the authority of Scripture. We live our lives in community together, eating together, listening to one another, taking communion together, praying together. These are the things that Christians do. Hardcore Christians are not lone rangers. They're just not. I'm not making a comment about the actual guy who played the Lone Ranger. He could have been a cargo Christian for all I know. But hardcore Christians are not people that go out and do it on their own. It's absolutely against Scripture to be that kind of a Christian. Now, if you're in prison or something and there's no other Christians around, you're forced into that situation, then God can give you special dispensation of grace for that situation. But as a general rule, you don't do it on your own. You don't do it on your own. So we're called to be in community together, which means we have to put ourselves in the situations that we're uncomfortable with. We're just going to have to put ourselves in uncomfortable situations that we don't really like. Right? First one is in order to be a part of the church and part of a community, we have to be willing to be taught. We have to be willing to be taught. That means you have to believe that you don't know everything. Modern folks... Our folks, we don't want to have any accountability. We don't like accountability. We hate accountability. We think we know what's best for us. That is, all over this world, most people, we think we know what's best for us. That's why the world is working out so well. Right? Because we know, obviously, we know what's best for us. That's why we have such wonderful things happening all over the world. Remember when we talked about postmodernism. And in talking about postmodernism, we talked about modernism. And modernism was this idea that we were going to figure it all out. We did not need God. We did not need scripture. That through science and reason, we would figure out how to become the perfect people. That did not work out well for us. That did not work out well for us. This is why we have postmodernism, because that was ultimately rejected. We need accountability, and we need the humility to be taught from the word. The sin of the devil was that he thought he knew better. That was his sin. And in fact, it was very similar to the sin that he tempted Eve to commit. Hey, you'll know what's good and evil. You'll be like God. You'll know. See, this pride in our own ability to do things on our own, it's a very old sin. It's a very old sin. And we have to, part of what it means to be in the church is to be cutting away at that part of ourselves at that part of our flesh that says we know better and we don't have to listen to anybody. Part of being in the community is being accountable and submitting to the word of God. Big deal. It's a big deal. It's part of what it means to be a hardcore Christian. Americans, by the way, are not the originators of thinking they know how 
to do everything and thinking they know what's right and wrong and that everyone else is dumb and they're smart. That's not an American thing. The ancient people thought the same way. That's the whole point of what, what we read here. That's the whole point of what we read here when we talk about fellowship and community and the disciples' teaching. It was not any easier for them than it is for us. It was not any easier for them. To submit yourself to accountability and to teaching and to community and to fellowship was difficult for them. It's difficult for us. There's nothing new under the sun. It's always going to be difficult. But being one body of the church and living together and encouraging one another and sacrificing for one another and devoting ourselves to one another, those aren't, those aren't our normal desires. They just aren't. I mean, I can be honest for myself at least. They're not. We like to make a nest. As we become self-sufficient, the richer we get, the more self-sufficient we become. And you don't have to become that rich before you start to alienate yourself and pull yourself away. It's just me. Maybe I like my own family, so it's just kind of me and my family. And we don't want to make the time for church. We don't want to make the time for it. If we are serious about Christ, if we're serious about it, shouldn't other people be able to look at us and see that it's our first priority in life? But here's the deal. And listen, I'm not trying to hit anybody too hard here. But just just think about this. If five nights of your week are spent doing travel basketball with your kid or whatever, including every weekend, and all your time is, or, or, or you go hunting or fishing or whatever, three Sundays out of every week, or even work in some cases where you never are able to be with your, with your fellow believers, and somebody looks at your life from the outside, what are they going to see as your priorities? Are they going to think to themselves, that's a hardcore Christian? That's, that's a serious follower of Christ if you can't even prioritize yourself to be with your brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to, as we get into the rest of the second chapter, and hopefully I'll knock that out on the next Acts sermon, and we'll get all the way through it, but, but these people were meeting all the time. They were together all the time. Fellowship for them did not mean twice a month I show up. That's not what it meant. It meant they were together all the time, all the time. That's what it means to be a Christian. We've got to remember that question that I asked. If, if, if this guy came up to you and said, don't worry, you're cool, you aren't one of those hardcore Christians, what would you think? Would you think, oh, no, he's evaluating it wrong, or would he be right about that from what he can see? And if that's the truth, maybe we need to think about where we are and what we're doing. Some of us need to be here more often. Some of us need to join a life group. Some of us need to forgive our brothers and sisters. Some of us need to humble ourselves and ask for forgiveness from those we've hurt. Some of us need to get out of our nest and get into community and know what it means to be accountable and submissive to our brothers and sisters in Christ and to be a body that works together, not to be off on our own doing our own thing. I want to be a hardcore Christian. You should want to be a hardcore Christian. There shouldn't be any other kind. Powerful lesson, wasn't it? Think we all have some growing to do in some, if not all, of these areas. And if you realize that you need to make church a priority in your own life, let me invite you to Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington.
Pastor David's teaching is rock-solid, and the folks here love Jesus and each other. So I hope you'll come this Sunday morning. Get directions and all the info you need at axchurchnw.org or call 360-885-9000. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll check out the next episode for more with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate. Contemplate.